Good morning and happy Monday. This is Memorial Day in the United States, and this is where we honor and remember those who have given their life so that we may enjoy the freedoms that we have today. A lot of times that people see this as the beginning of summer and there are barbecues and family gatherings, and that's all fine and good. But remember how we got there and how we keep this. Start out in Psalm 68, verse 15. Actually, I'm just going to read the last two verses, 19 through 20, because I think that this is a good standalone prayer. Praise the Lord, praise God, our Savior, for each day he carries us in his arms. Our God is a God who saves. The sovereign Lord rescues us from death. Amen. That's a good prayer to think about this Memorial Day to pray for the country. New Testament, we are in John 18, verse 25. Peter is asked twice more, do you know Jesus? Peter says, nope. Rooster crows. We know that story. But it's interesting here that John chooses to keep the part about him talking with Jesus earlier, Peter talking with Jesus earlier, where Peter said, I'd never deny you. And Jesus said, you will before daybreak. It's interesting um, because you would think that Peter would have told John about that conversation with Jesus beforehand, especially if John is the other disciple who's now with him, who followed with Peter, followed Jesus to Aeneas' house. Because according to the other Gospels, Peter got very upset when he heard the rooster crow. And if John is with him, John would, he would think most likely ask, what's, what's going on, Peter? You okay? So it's interesting, again, that John doesn't talk about that, but yet we know the story, and, and we know the story through different views from the four Gospels. Anyway, Jesus, he, he has a trial. I'll put that word in quotes, but that's the word that's used by John in this translation. Before uh, Caiaphas, the high priest, the trial ends in the early hours of the morning. They take him then to Pilate. They don't tell Pilate what the charges are. It's just basically he's a criminal and they want him dead. The reason why they bring him to Pilate, they say, is that only Romans can execute. So while there's no text here in John saying that they want Jesus dead, it's pretty obviously inferred from that. Pilate decides to question Jesus himself. I think he's trying to figure out why his own people want him dead. And, and you kind of get the sense that Pilate's like, well, why am I even a part of this? This is a Jewish thing. I don't need to be involved with this. Pilate finds no crime, finding the, trying to find the easiest way out of this, to rid himself of this, what he feels is a Jewish affair. He takes advantage of the Passover tradition 
that the Jews, they usually ask for the release of one prisoner. So he says to, I guess there's a crowd of Jews outside of his house at this point in time. I don't know. It's the impression you get early in the morning, mid-morning, late morning. I'm not sure. It's no transition statement here, except for that a lot's happened this day. And he asked the people, he's like, well, what do you, who would you like for me to release? Because you always ask that you want someone released. And he's hoping that they're going to choose Jesus. And then this whole thing that messed up his morning is, is done. But why would he assume this? Just think about this for a second, because it was the Jews who brought Jesus to be executed to begin with. And now he's asking the Jews. Now, granted, the Jews that he's asking aren't the ones that brought him, that brought Jesus in. But the high priest did. And one would assume that the Jewish people, particularly on during the Passover celebration, would follow whatever the high priest says. So in that light, to me, it kind of doesn't really make too much sense for Pilate to think of course, maybe Pilate's not thinking straight here. He just wants to rid himself of this issue, which is, again, really messed up his morning. He's probably having to deal with a lot of um, secular activities with regards to security and all that with everybody coming in for the Passover as it is. You can almost imagine what's that, what's that that's like. We deal with that today in any city, any town that has like a major event going on. There's a lot of issues you got to think about. Anyway, the people say, no, we want Barabbas. We want Barabbas released, which it's interesting here how John describes Barabbas. He says that Barabbas is a revolutionary, which seems to be more of a positive word than criminal, which is how I believe that Barabbas is described in the other gospels. We'll pick that up tomorrow, because now we move to the Old Testament. We are in 1 Samuel 24. I forgot how long Samuel is, and this is 1 Samuel. There's still another book to come. Saul has continued the hunt for David with 3,000 elite, I guess you could probably pronounce it either way, elite troops. And Saul had to take a bathroom break. I love how it's so human at that point in time it's just like yes people had to stop and do their thing even back then it's been around forever so Saul he decides he sees a cave he's going to go relieve himself in the cave and this cave just happens to be the cave where David and his 600 men are hiding covertly quiet 600 men in a cave where Saul is relieving himself it's a hard image there First of all, it's got to be a really large cave. Second of all, can you keep 600 people quiet like that? With all the echoing going on? It's a little bit difficult. And, and, and even on top of that, so David has the opportunity now to kill Saul. It would end his entire problem that he has of having to run from this guy who has been a maniac trying to kill him. So what does David do? He doesn't 
sneak up on Saul and kill him. He sneaks up and cuts off a little piece of the robe. Souvenir, perhaps? I don't know. There's probably some significance there. I'll, I'll go with souvenir. But at that point in time, he's having second thoughts. He's like, well, even though his men encouraged him to kill him, because his men don't like being on the run either, I would imagine. David's like, I can't kill him because this is God's anointed. As bad as he is, God anointed Saul king. So Saul leaves and David shouts after him. I don't know, taunting him or he holds up the little piece of the robe and says, hey, I could have killed you. I didn't. And Saul seems touched by this. And here's a quote. You are a better man than I am, for you have repaid me good for evil. So apparently this ended the pursuit of David, at least for now. And they part their ways. Now, 1 Samuel 25 begins with Samuel's death. It's almost seen as an afterthought. It's like a very short paragraph. Samuel dies and he's buried. You'd think that would be the end of the book of Samuel, but it isn't. David and his men are on the move and ask for assistance from a wealthy man named Nabal. I guess that parting between David and Saul wasn't quite as friendly because if they really, really, really had come to a kumbaya moment, Saul would have provided for David's troops. So... They parted, not best friends, but not enemies at this point in time. At least Saul's not trying to kill David right now. Anyway, David asked this wealthy man named Nabal, who's apparently pretty much self-centered, selfish, stuck on himself. He asked for assistance because his David's folks, they need provisions. And, but Nabal says, "What? why would I do this for you? Who, who are you? And this angered David because David and his men had protected the region some time back. So David thought, well, boy, that's not being terribly grateful. He plans to attack Nabal and take the food. He takes 400 of his men with swords, leaves the other 200 to guard the camp. Good strategy. But now Nabal's wife, Abigail, she's more sensible. And she hears about what had happened and what she figures out what is happening. David's going to attack, and basically David attacks, and, and Abigail and Nabal, they lose everything. So Abigail takes provisions out to David, meets David and his 400 men on the way, and basically says, look, here's some stuff. Please don't. We know that you're the anointed king. God's chosen. Well, this was enough for David to stand down and did not attack. Now, Abigail went back. And Abigail did not tell Nabal about this until the next day. Now, there's no cause or effect here, but it's implied that that news was enough to push Nabal over the edge, and he has a stroke. Nabal then dies. 
and in a soap opera twist, David ends up marrying Abigail. And that's it for today. Enjoy the day with family. Remember those who gave the ultimate sacrifice and live today as if the king is coming back today. Thank you.